0: If you are visiting or haven't been here for a while, that's probably the biggest section that we're, we have done so far. That it might excite some of us since we've been in Luke for a little bit. Some of us it might be disappointed that we're going too fast. Guess which side I'm on? <laughs> no. The reason that we are taking this big section where it seems like there's different scenes that's going on here is because they all contain one theme. It's sin and we as sinners. We see it with Peter as he falls down in front of the Almighty and says and asks him to depart from him because he's a sinner. We see it with the, the healing of the leper, which is a marvelous picture of the gospel, and we see it with the healing of the paralytic, the forgiveness of sin, and then we see it with the Levi and the tax collectors, and Jesus, the great physician who comes for sinners. And so my goal this morning as we go through this passage is for us to allow our allow God's word to sink in the depth of our hearts, to see the real extent of our depravity, our sin, and then to allow God's word to elevate us in worship as we see the, the glories of God's blessing and forgiveness and grace in and Christ. And it's a lofty goal. I know uh, the good thing is not dependent on me, but it's on God's Word. And so that's what we're diving in. So I'm pumped. I hope you are as well. If you don't have your Bible or, or a phone, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew. Um, if you open that up and use that Bible, it's going to be page 808 at the passage we're at. So let's first look at the depth of our depravity as seen in these passages. And so let me, let me start here. On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. Let me me give a little background here. First, number one, we see a connection with what we saw last week, that God's word, the teaching of Christ, is emphasized. It's even emphasized here. It's connected. Before, it's all about the priority and the the power of God's word, and here we see the crowd is pressing on him to hear the word of God. Jesus' teaching. They're at the lake of Genesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, same body of water. As he said, and it says, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out, out of them were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your, down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but your word I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They singled the to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Saint Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." <laughs> I'm not going to spend much time on this part because Keith, when he preached a few weeks ago, he actually did a fantastic job of going through this passage. And so, if you have not had not a chance to listen to that or, or watch it, I invite you. Uh, to go on our website, on our YouTube channel, and you'll be able to hear Keith speak. Uh, Actually, um, that's probably our most listened to, one of the most listened to messages on our podcasting website. So it's a fantastic message. So with this particular passage, listen to Keith preach on it. It's called, uh, Keith, remind me what it's called. What happens when a regular guy comes in contact with the Savior, right? Fantastic message. So please, I invite me to go listen to that. Uh, Keith does a fantastic job. But what I want to do here is the theme, to point out the theme of sin here. But we, So we have these pro-fishermen, right? We've got Peter. We've got Andrew. We've got Nathan Allen Vleck. Just kidding, since you guys fish a lot. it could be added. I assume a lot of us also could be added in there. But we've got this pro-fisherman who was falling all night, and then this guy comes by who says, Hey, did you try doing this? He like, said, Well, yep. Yeah, we have. But they follow, and they do what he says. Eventually, they, they catch a massive amount of fish. And when Peter sees this, he falls down. Jesus' name exclaims, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And so breaking that down, he says, O Lord. And what's interesting is this is an elevation of what he just said earlier. Verse 5, he, uses the, he calls Jesus the master, or master is what he refers to. Which is very common at that time, especially for a rabbi, which Jesus most likely was. But now he says, Lord. Now, after all this, he calls Jesus Lord. He just saw this miracle of this fish. Remember, he just saw the miracle of his mother-in-law being healed. We just saw that last week. That was Peter. And he falls down before Jesus and calls him Lord. He falls down in unworthiness. He acknowledges that this is no man there's something different about Jesus. He says, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. And it's in God's holy presence that we become aware of who we are. It's in God's holy presence we become aware of who we really are. Uh, A figure in church history, says this, Hence that dread and amazement with which, as Scripture uniformly relates, men were struck and overwhelmed whenever they beheld the presence of God. Men are never duly touched and oppressed with a conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. It's in the majesty of God's holiness that we become aware of how sinful and how depraved we really are. The late theologian R.C. Sproul he calls this the trauma of holiness. What a fantastic phrase! The trauma of holiness. And we see this all through Scripture. We saw it just as I read earlier with Isaiah. He's before the throne room of of the throne room of God. He cries out, "Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of of hosts. He like declares a a woe unto himself. You might read through the Prophets. It's woe unto you, Egypt. Woe unto you, Assyria. Then he pronounces one on himself. Woe is me. I'm a sinner. I'm I'm in the land of sinners. I'm going to die. I'm before the God Almighty. We see this in Exodus. When God meets the Israelites at Mount Sinai, listen to this. It says, now Moses writes, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Let's speed ahead a few centuries. John, on the Isle of Patmos, when Jesus gives him the revelation, this is what John writes, verse 17 chapter one, when I saw him being Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. The trauma of holiness. When we come before the presence of God, So sinners are not comfortable in the presence of God, of holiness. Peter was not comfortable. He fell down, asked Jesus to depart from me, get away from me, for I'm a sinner. Even as believers, our acts of praying, our acts of serving one another, that loving fervor and affection we have for one another, all of it needs to be washed of sin in the blood of Christ, all of it. And in response to this, this is where Peter cries out, depart from me. Depart from me. Peter knows that his sin deserves God's wrath. He knows it. He knows that sinners deserve justice, which is punishment. And he knows that. He says, depart from me. Depart from me, Lord. We, uh, the world and often the church, we shy away from God's wrath. We shy away from his righteousness. We shy away from his holiness and his justice. Uh, some in the American Christian church have been crying out for social justice when we are beneficiaries of it, but we are nowhere to be found crying out for true eternal justice, which means our damnation. That's justice. R.C. Sproul, again, I'm, I'm gonna quote him again. He's got an amazing book called The Holiness of God. He quoted once, he said, a God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, no sovereignty, no justice, no holiness, and no wrath is an idol. It's an idea of God we made up in our minds, and we bow down to Him. It. It's a fake God, a false God. So we see the death of your depravity, the death of my depravity, demands justice from God. It demands his, his wrath, His punishment, because sin is an offense to God. There's a great theologian in the 18th century. His name is Jonathan Edwards. Has anyone heard of him? Yeah, yeah. Great theologian. And he preached a now infamous, if I can use that word, sermon called, which may be familiar, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I remember being a freshman in high school, a public school in in Wisconsin. And for whatever reason, we read part of his, his, his sermon. I'm not sure why, maybe just because it was part of American history. But I remember being in that class and the teacher and the students just mocked, mocked what Edwards spoke in that sermon. Like, oh, this is ridiculous. How can this be? But this is, this is insane. Why would he say these hard things? But why would people on a horrible road who are actively working to deceive themselves not laugh at their eventual destination? Listen as I read an excerpt from his sermon. He says this. Remember, he preached this to his church. He says this. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much in the same way as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect with the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to cast into the fire. He is a pure eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent in yours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stumbered rebel did his prince, and yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling to the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell the last night, that you were suffered to wake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given but his mercy, Yet no other reason can be given why you do not this very moment drop down into hell. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of the wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by slender thread, and with the flames of divine wrath flashing about and ready ever to singe it and burn it asunder, and you have no interest in any mediator and nothing to lay a hold of to save yourself, nothing to keep off the flames of wrath, nothing of your own, nothing that you have done, nothing that you can do to induce God spirit for one moment. We don't hear sermons like that nowadays, right? We do not hear that. It contains horrible and graphic imagery that conjures up within us fear and anxiety. Does it not? But I contend there will be an infinite amount more of anxiety and fear When an unrepentant sinner stands before God and says, I never knew you depart from me, you work of lawlessness. So Edwards in his sermon just begins to scratch the surface of the extent of the evil that runs rampant in our hearts and how much we deserve justice and God's wrath. And Peter understood this. He understood the depth of this depravity as he cries out to Jesus, depart from me. Depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Isaiah says, woe is me. I am a sinner, I am in a land of sinners, woe is me, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. And we see something similar in the next event, verse 12, right, the next scene here, which he was in one of the cities, speaking of Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face, I think we've seen that, and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And so like Peter, this man falls before Christ, and he begs help. Calls Jesus, Lord, which we just saw with Peter. The same exact thing. He falls before Jesus. Listen to uh, James Goldlow, uh, Goodlow, a uh, country. He says this. How odd that we usually think worship should be face-up, as if we want to rejoice in how good we are and to tell God what we have done for Him. How very often in the Bible, instead, when people realize they're in the presence of God, they fall down on their face and do not presume to look up. They know they're not worthy to be to look upon God. Peter falls down before Christ. The leper falls down before Christ. And a leprosy, uh, a disease that caused various forms, uh, it creates lesions or swollen areas on the skin. According to God's law in Leviticus, that person would be ostracized from the community for the sake of the healthy. Uh, notice the healthy aren't quarantined; the sick are quarantine. There's a commentary on what's going on today, but the sick. The lepers, they're quarantined, so the rest don't get, aren't, don't get uh, sick, don't get the contagious disease. But the key here in this passage is that at that time, the assumption was that leprosy was a punishment from God. That was the assumption. And we see that in Scripture. Uh, King uh, Uzziah, actually I brought up with Isaiah, the passage of Isaiah. This King Uzziah, he sought God and prospered, but then he became strong, he became prideful. One time he went to the temple, which he was not supposed to be doing, and he was going to burn a fire, incense to, to God, which he should not be doing, only the priest should. And so these priests go in after him saying, what are you doing? You cannot be, you can't be doing this. They tell him to stop, but Uzziah it says he gets angry, and then leprosy breaks out on his forehead. God, it says God sent leprosy. It was a punishment from God. From that time on, Uzziah had to live in a separate house, for the temple of God. His son, Jotham, he was the ruler. And so yes, there is some support that leprosy was a punishment from God in this situation. And so whether this leper that Jesus came to, whether he meant it or not, this request to be healed from leprosy, it certainly has connotations of inner as well as outer healing. And so the leper comes. And look at the focus here. What does the leper ask? Lord, if you will... If you are willing, you can make me clean. The man knows he can't do it himself. And so he falls down before Jesus and begs him. As sinners, we can't save ourselves. We got nothing. We got nothing to run to but Christ. Paul writes in Romans 3, he's quoting the Psalms. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And how much more comprehensive can you get? No one is good, Paul is saying. No one even seeks God. And so we are utterly and wholly depraved of sin that we're unable to save ourselves. Then we move on to the next section of this passage. Uh, we see... And absolute depravity clearly on display, clearly on display when Jesus visits the tax collectors. Look at verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You catch it? The the absolute depravity completely, clearly on display. It's in the question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The question indicts the Pharisees themselves as they try to make some kind of distance as if the sinners over there were not us. We're different. Why are you eating with them, Jesus, those sinners, but not us. They don't see their need, they are completely blind. And we run the risk like the Pharisees of thinking sinners are everything, everyone else except us. And so we see the complete depravity in the sense of the self-delusion. And so never underestimate the self-delusion and the blinding effect of sin. We saw we, we see in the Church of Laodicea, which we looked at last week, right? They have thought they had together. But the opposite was true. In fact, it says, Jesus says, You think you're rich, prospering, and need nothing. But she says, In actuality, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We are so utterly depraved and we don't even know it. Listen to this. This is from uh, Scroll again. He talks about the self delusion. He writes this. We are not really surprised that God has redeemed us. Somewhere deep inside, in the secret chambers of our hearts, we harbor the notion that God owes us his mercy. Heaven would not be quite the same if we were excluded from it. We know that we are sinners, but we are surely not as bad as we could be. There are enough redeeming features in our personalities that if God is really just, he will include us in salvation. Then he says, you know what? What amazes us is justice, that God will give us justice and not grace. We think we deserve grace. Sin blinds. Our hearts are like the caves of Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan and Pakistan, full of evil and terrorism, chomping at the bit for every opportunity to rebel against the living God, the depravity that we have. Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Peter understood this. The leper understood this. Levi understood this. But now that we plumb the depths of our depravity in this passage, let's turn to the heights of God's grace. Amen? Uh, Paul Washer, he says this, It is only against the pitch blackness of the night that we see the glory of the stars, right? When you're outside, you see the, the beautiful stars just everywhere, especially in a nice cloudless night. Then he continues, And it's only against the pitch blackness of man's radically depravity that we begin to see the glories of the gospel. So let's look at it. Look back at Peter. Peter falls down. Uh, Depart from me, for I am a sinner, O Lord. How does Jesus respond? Verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What does Jesus do with this humble, sinner Peter, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Come to God humbly. Do not run from the only hope that you have. The burning fire that will consume you because of your sin is the same burning fire that will purify you from your sin. And so the only variable is how you come to the burning fire. Why not be afraid? John 3, 17. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Salvation in Christ. And then move on to the next thing with the leper. We see this uh, marvelous picture of the gospel. So remember, the, the leper comes to Jesus, begging him that if you will, Christ, you can make me clean. Jesus says, verse 13, in, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now even more the report of him about him went abroad, and the great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew to desolate places to prayer. So you see it: Jesus touched the leper; Jesus became legally unclean because he touched the leper, and the leper became legally clean because he's no longer leperous. Do you see it? Jesus took our sin upon himself just as he took the leper's sickness. Jesus became unrighteous. He took our unrighteousness and became unrighteous, just like he became legally unclean by touching the leper. Jesus gives us his righteousness when we have faith in him, which God then declares us as just, just as he made the leper become legally clean and tells him to go, tell us the priest, You're clean. And receive all this by faith. Jesus, the leper, received this by faith and knew that Christ could heal him. It's quite a picture. I think it's amazing. Jesus touched. Jesus took on the uncleanness. Another guy, when are we free? We come to Christ dirty, full of sin. Jesus comes, touches us. Through faith in him, he takes our unrighteousness we take his righteousness so that God looks at us, sees his righteousness, declares us just. And the amazing thing is, don't don't overlook it, is that Jesus was willing. Remember, the leper came and said, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I will. Jesus is willing to make you clean and righteous. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, I believe that as often as I transgress, God is more ready to forgive me than I'm ready to offend. Let me say that again. He said, I believe that as often as I transgress, God is more ready to forgive me than I am ready to offend. God is willing and eager to forgive. He's not like us, right? We think about uh, someone who's hurt us and trying to forgive him seven times, 70 times. Well, we cannot even imagine that. But God is not like us. Praise God. He's not like us because he is willing to forgive those who come to, to faith in Christ. He is eager. And this is a complete and eternal forgiveness. Look at the next section with the, the paralyzed man. I'm not going to read this because it's a bigger section. But what we see here, Jesus forgives this man. He says, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. What sweetness with that phrase. May it never become old or stale to us. Your sins are forgiven you. The Pharisees get upset because they're like, okay, only God can forgive. And they're completely right. But Jesus is God. And then Jesus proves that he can forgive sin by healing the man as well. So Jesus proves that when he forgives, it is done. Or in other words, it is finished. In Christ, we are completely and forever free from guilt and condemnation. Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. Isaiah 43, 25, God says this I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God forgives, and it's done. Jerry Bridges says this, and I think it's a, uh, it definitely describes me, and maybe it describes you. He says this We tend to drink up our old sins, that we tend to live under. A vague sense of guilt. We are not nearly as vigorous in appropriating God's forgiveness as He is in extending it. Consequently, instead of living in the sunshine of God's forgiveness through Christ, we tend to live under an overcast sky of guilt most of the time. I love the phrase that He says We are not nearly as vigorous in appropriating God's forgiveness as He is in extending it. He is willing, He is eager to forgive. We can run to Christ because there is complete and forever lasting forgiveness. And finishing it off, Jesus tells us that his mission is for sinners. He came for sinners. Verse 30, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have, tell that to the, <laughs> Remember, moving on, COVID, I was thinking about that. Moving on. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He says, I didn't come for those who think they're healthy, I didn't come for those who think they're righteous, I didn't come for those who think they don't have a need. He says, I came for those who know they are sick, who know they are sinners, and who know what they are in need. It is those who confess their depth of depravity that will know the heights of God's grace in Christ. It is those who confess the depth of their depravity that will know the height of God's grace in Christ. So, bringing this all together. So instead of uh, worrying about sinners out there, worrying about uh, other people, those sinners, as the Pharisees do, the distance, we can respond. Whether first in becoming a Christian or as we continue to follow Christ, we can, one, identify as a sinner, confess our sin. Realize that we are the reasons Jesus came. One uh, pastor in history said this, the grace of Christ is only of benefit to us when we are conscious of our sins and come to him in the humility, groaning under their weight. It is only when we confess our sin and we come and admit it that we receive God's grace. So let's identify as sinners. Number two, let us profess our faith in Christ as Savior and as Lord affirm the gospel every day believe that you have received forgiveness in christ through faith that's all been washed away That it is done it is finished we give thanks so confess that we're sinners identify as sinners profess our faith that we are forgiven in christ and number three let us rise and follow jesus just as peter did just as levi did Leaving our, our selfish desires and dreams, leaving self as the authority, let us rise and follow Jesus. And what glories in rich grace, right? The depth of our depravity, yet the height of God's grace. And so may we be like Peter in the the fisherman and a witness of this grace in our homes to our kids as we sit, as we walk by the way, as we leisure, as we work. And may we be like the paralyzed man's friends who brought him to Jesus, who broke open the ceiling, brought him down. May we be like them. And may we bring our kids to the gospel each day. May we bring our friends to hear the gospel. I love this. This last thing from James Goodlow. he says this. Surely this, referring to the gospel, referring to what is going on in this passage, says, surely this is the basis of peace in the city and peace in the whole world. And isn't that true? We're called to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teach them to obey Christ, proclaiming the good news. And we're called to carry the nations to the word of God, the gospel, that we are depraved, we cannot do anything about it, but Jesus has come for sinners. Did it come for the healthy, for the sick, the great physician? Pray with me. Father, uh, Lord. Lord, how discouraging it is to hear the the depth of the evil with our own hearts, God, but how freeing it is that as we confess that, as we as the the pastor and Church History said, as we groan under the weight of our own sin, that we have grace and we have forgiveness in Christ. Lord, uh, remind us this week as we go out today, as we play softball, as we eat, uh, Lord, as we struggle this week, as we go to work, may we remember that we are forgiven. It is finished. As we're reminded about temptation, as we things pop up and we are jerks to our spouses, as we are disobedient to our parents, Lord, as we... Feel the weight of that. May we rejoice that we are forgiven in Christ. That you look at us not based on our performance, but based on Christ's performance. Lord, bless us as we go today. And Lord, thank you.